how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Sing how great, how great is our God. The splendor of a king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice let all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice at His voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our Sing that again now. How great is our God? One more time now. Oh, how great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. You are beautiful. To marvelous for words, to wonderful for comprehension. 
like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty throne above, and I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. Sing that chorus again. Oh, I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. Give the Lord hand a clang, clap of praise. You know, I, I truly do stand in awe of, of Him. And He loves to hear you say that, saints. He loves to hear you tell Him what you actually mean to Him. And I'm out all over the country all week and I see the beauty of, of God's creation all around. Yes, there's all kinds of bad things in this world, but I don't pay no, that's not part of me. I have nothing to do with that. But when I look around and I see that all these great creations and all these things and I look up and see the heavens and all the stars and the vastness of the universe and then me on this, just a little speck, Brother Jewel, on this little speck of an earth, in this little speck of a galaxy, in this great universe, He laid down His life for this little speck. How can we not stand in awe of Him this morning, saints? We have so much that we have to give thanks for. Amen. If God never blessed me with another thing, I know His promise. He keeps His promises, and His promise was that He gave His life for me. That's all the blessing that I would ever need. Let's just sing that this morning as we enter into worship. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ. 
Christ, His Son. Give him a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Let's just enter into to worship here. I'd like for you to turn around and greet your neighbors. Tell them you're glad to see them. You're happy to be here. Look at all these smiles. I just, I love it. I've been looking forward to this. All these things we have to be thankful for. I tell you what, I never shall forget the day that the Lord brought me into His fold this morning. Amen. Let's sing this old song. Long years ago, when out in sea, I had no hope, no peace within, down on my knees in agony. I prayed to Jesus and He gladly set me free. And I never shall forget the day When all the burdens of my soul rolled away It makes me happy, glad and free I'll sing and shout it for He's everything to me now I can feel Him by my side My feeble steps He comes to God When trials come He comforts me Through faith in Him or sin I have the victory Hallelujah! And I never shall forget the day When all the birds of my soul rolled away It makes me happy, glad and free I'll sing and shout it for He's everything to me Oh sinner, come to Jesus now At His dear feet Just humbly bow, confess to Him your every sin He'll save you, cleanse you Give you joy and peace within Oh, I never shall forget the day When all the burdens from my soul rolled 
makes me happy, glad and free. I'll sing and shout it for he's everything. Oh, play it, Brother John. This is my favorite one. Now I can feel him by my side. My feeble steps, he comes to God when trials come. Hallelujah. He comforts me. Through faith in him or sin, I have the victory. Oh, I never shall forget the day. When all the burdens from my soul rolled away It makes me happy, glad and free I'll sing and shout it for he's everything Oh, let's sing it one more time now Oh, I never shall forget the day When all the burdens from my soul rolled away Sing and shout it for he's everything to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, how do you stay happy like that all the time? Why wouldn't I? I know who I was before, Brother Chisholm, and I know who I am now. I have I have to be happy. I ain't got no other choice. I can't help it. And this is how I stay happy. Hold to God's unchanging hand. That's all you got to do. Oh, now hold to God's unchanging hand. All you do is build your hopes on things eternal. And hold to God's unchanging Sing that chorus again. Oh, all you gotta do is hold to His hand. God's unchanging hand. All you gotta do is hold to His hand. God's unchanging hand. Oh, just build your hopes on things Changing hand. Here's the key. Trust in Him who will not leave you. Oh, whatsoever hears may bring. Oh, if my earthly friends forsake. Gotta do his hold his hand. God's unchanging hand. All you have to do is hold. God's unchanging hand. 
changing hand Then you can say this And when your journey here's completed Oh, if to God you have been true like this. Oh, well, I'm not giving up. Who's not giving up? I'm not turning round. By the grace of God, I'll wear the shining crown. Someday, oh, I'll keep holding on. Yes, I will. To that nail-scarred hand. No, I'm not giving up. Keep going on How many's been here now? I've been walking through the valley Through this veil of tears Times I've even questioned Even if my Lord was near Many times that old tempter He says why not turn around can't get any farther because you're just losing. But I tell him, I'm not giving up. I'm not turning round. By the grace of God, I'll wear the shining crown. Someday, oh, I'll keep holding on. That nail-scarred hand No, I'm not giving up No, I'll Oh, let's sing it one more time now Oh, no, I'm not giving up No, I'm not turning round By the grace of God I'll wear the shining crown Someday and I'll keep That nail-scarred hand No, I'm not giving up No, I'll keep going on Hallelujah I'm telling you, saints, we've come too far to give up now I know times is hard, things are tough But we knew it was going to get that way and it's going to get even harder because even in all of this, we're still comfortable. You know, we've still got food. Yeah, it's costing more to buy it. You don't get as much in your buggy for 50 bucks as what you used to, but it's still, we're still comfortable. But it's going to get a whole lot more uncomfortable. <laughs> 
And when it does, that inside's finally going to realize, hey, this is not my home. I don't, I don't belong here. I'm not part of this. I'm, I'm, I'm almost there, brother. It, it gets to be a struggle. But the one thing that I, that I, that I hold on to is I know that regardless of what happens, it's no secret what God can do for me. It's no secret what He's already done for me. I, I don't want it to be a secret. And I want people to ask me, why are you always so excited and so happy? I remember the story where the, the little Shumanite woman came, and even in death she testified it all as well. That's the way that I want to be. That's, that's my testimony. And I'm telling you, saints, whatever you're going through this morning, whether it be financial, health, we got all kind of testimonies in here this morning right in front of us of God's healing power and His deliverance. It is no secret, friends, what God can do for you. As we get ready to take these prayer requests, let's just sing this old song. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. Becky plays that softly. I'd like to ask Brother Aaron if he would get ready to take these requests before the Lord. Sure is good to have him back with us, him and his family. We want to remember the uh, the Whitlocks this morning. It's not here with us. Uh, I spoke with Brother David earlier. He's he's just so covered up in work and can't get any help and seems to be the the thing of, uh, of everybody right now. And uh, we just uh, want to hold them up in prayer. We want to uh, remember uh, Sister Hannah Whitlock. She had uh, uh, injured her wrist, uh, taken a fall and had uh, injured her wrist. So we want to remember her. We want to remember uh, Brother Peter and Sister Rachel Coffey. They are away this morning. I'd like you to remember uh, Brother Matt Cross. He's uh, sick, not feeling well. My wife is uh, dealing with the same issues. She's not feeling well this morning. Also, I uh, want to remember the uh, Pascals who is uh, having to, uh, to do the same thing with the work. I spoke with him uh, a week or so ago, and he's just, when he's the only one in the area that does what he does, it, uh, it kind of puts a, a real big strain on him. And uh, we want to uh, remember, uh, continue to remember Brother Burley Williams uh, as he's recovering and having to face a, a surgery and all. So we want to hold him up in prayer. I know there's many unspoken requests among us we're a needy people saints pray for each other we need each other's prayers too we're all in this together amen brother aaron if you would just come and take these requests before the lord for us dear father we come to you this morning lord jesus father in your house oh 
for we know that in your house, Lord, we can bring our requests. In, in your house, Father, burdens are lifted. In your house, oh God, prayers are answered. In your house, sicknesses are cast away. Demons are cast away. When Jesus comes, the power of the tempter is broken. Father, we know your word says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But Father, it doesn't end there. We know that you deliver out of them all. This morning, Father, we pray for deliverance for this prayer request. Some of your children are away sick. Some are traveling. Some, Father, have got burdens upon their heart. Father, we have seen you fight our battles. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you this morning, Lord Jesus Christ. Because, Father, we know that you have already done it for us. Increase our faith, O oh God. I pray, Father, as we enter into the preaching of the word, may you just anoint the minister and speak directly to our hearts. Oh God, may they be such an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit that, Lord God, little children that are seeking the Holy Spirit may walk out of this building filled with the presence of God. Father, for the fire of Pentecost is still the same this morning. We pray, oh God, that, Lord Jesus, at the end of the service, Lord, May we say like Cleopas and his friends, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way. We thank you, Father, for we know that you are still the same God, a living God, a living fire that is not painted upon a wall, but a living fire that is alive in our hearts, that is burning inside of us. Father, may you burn, Father, until all the dross is taken away. Bless the visitors among us, oh God. Those that are seeking Jesus Christ, those that are seeking answers, may they find answers in the name of Jesus. We commit this service into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. God bless you, saints. You can be seated. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Sister Lily, if you'd come on up and be getting ready. Um, to uh to sing we are uh just wanted to remind uh, everyone that uh, to be praying for the men's meeting those are coming up in a couple of weeks there is some you can still register although you won't be able to stay on site there is a hotel there in uh, newport tennessee and it's on the men's meeting uh, website that has offered us discounted rates if you just tell them you're with the hickory bible tabernacle men's meeting you can stay there for $99 a night. It's in the hotel. You go over to our site and you register. You, uh, the cost for the, it will be $80 for the, for the meals and, and all that's there at the uh, facilities. You do have to be registered to participate. Um, and then just call the hotel. The contact information is on the site. Uh, I truly believe that uh, we are going to have uh, an extraordinary time this year I, I just I just really feel it um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and uh, so if you've not registered you need to do that by six o'clock today uh, six o'clock sharp it goes off no matter how much I like you or whatever after that it's 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 done because I have to give all this information to the uh, camp officials over there since we're so close so if you're considering it and you want to go six o'clock this evening is the cutoff for that. Also, um, nothing has been said to, to my knowledge about it, and I'm just going to briefly say that as of now, there is winter youth retreat this year. I know we've canceled the last two years uh, because of uh, the, the, the virus and all, and we've had outbreaks right at the time that we were supposed to have it. Um, registration right now tentatively is set to open 
the second Saturday of October. The pricing will be the same as what it was last year. Everything is, is pretty much going to be the same. We just had to get details and stuff worked out with the camp, plus working with the, the men's meeting at all. So it is the last. It's the December the uh, 28th, 27th to the 31st. It's, it's four nights, five days. I'll have the exact dates. But it's the same time every year. So we are scheduled to do that as of right now. There will be more information to come on the website and the social media. We're also thrilled to have Brother Jewel Forney, Brother Isaiah Chisholm, and, and folks from, from his church here. We welcome you all. We're certainly glad to have you. They're going to be uh, Brother uh, Chisholm and Brother Jewel is going to be singing for us here in just a little bit as well.
Thank you, Sister Early. Brother Isaiah, if you'd come at this time and, and give us a, a special. It certainly is good to see Brother Isaiah. Always appreciated him and his ministry and what he stood for. It's good to see you, Brother. God bless you. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. I mean, you feel the presence of the Lord. I do speak the truth. When I walk in the building, I just felt the love of God. December uh, coming up, it would be right at three years since I've been here. But when I walked through the door, it was like seeing my family. Uh, the deacon was at the door when I met him. It was like seeing my uncle again. I walked in the restroom, and there's Anna, there's my nephew. You know, and then my nieces and and. Little nephew comes up, and I, young brother says, it's been a long time. Y'all don't know how I feel. I feel the love of God, and I just appreciate the worship. It's just the presence of the Lord here. Give me the key of F. Amen. That's without, before the word, so I'm excited to see what the Lord has to say. Do you love the Lord? Amen. If we could just do something, you know, when you, you come to church, you should enter into that place. Of worshiping before the word, amen. I want to sing this a song, amen. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. Amen. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. And that is what I
Lord, see my sin. Come on, I never know. Come on, somebody say, say that verse again. I never know. I never know. Never know how much. Sing it again. I. That's all I come to do, Lord. You're the creator this morning. You're my God. You're all together. Oh, all together one. All together one. For to me. Clap your hands for the Lord. can be seated if you can. We'll never know. Oh, thank you, Brother Chisholm. I, I sure appreciate that. We're going to have Brother Jewel come at this time, however he wants to, to do this. Is your, your wife here? Is she going to come too? Or I requested a song. Anybody that's known Brother Jewel for any length of time, he, I'm sure he sings other songs, but there's one song <laughs> that ministers to me that from the time, the very first time I heard him. I thought we was going to have to put a support under the platform over at Happy Valley because he got so excited. But the thing was, if you enter into that same channel that he's in and you see what he's seeing, you'll understand, won't it be a time when we get over? We don't have to wait, though, till we get over there. We can have a time right here and right now. Brother Jewel, God bless you, brother. Let's give Brother Jewel a hand. Amen. My wife, please. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I trust everybody happy in, in the Holy Ghost. But by God's grace, won't it be a time? Amen. One of these mornings between six and nine, somebody's going to change in a moment to God, and they're going to be part of me. Amen. By the resurrection of the word now, by God's grace. Thank the Lord. We love you. Oh, won't it be a time?
by God's grace, we got something in here. By the power of the Holy Ghost, let my brother Tim, brother King come up here and help me sing this song right here. Hallelujah. Let us get this thing alive right here. Let the Holy Ghost move in here. Let your bones get alive in the power of the Holy Ghost. And won't it be a
understand why I get so happy. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. There's going to be a time real soon, saints, when we'll do that all day long, 24-7, yeah. nonstop. Yeah. I could just about do it right now. Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, my. Give me that, that's that key. What will it be when we get over yonder? Oh, just think about it. love this right here. This is what it's about. And when at last we see the face of Jesus yes. before whose image other loves all I'm going to be there. Hallelujah. Oh, now this is just what heaven means to me. Oh, just let it ring out to him now. Oh, what will it be when we One more time as the ushers come this morning. Come on up, ushers. Oh, what will it be when we get over yonder and join the throne upon the glassy
Amen. As Brother Barry comes this morning, let's just sing this to, to the Lord. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. In His arms I feel. In His arms I feel protected. I'd ever rather be in now. So falling in love with my Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Feel like it's church. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. We'll let our musicians take their places this morning. And uh, we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord today. Brother Jewel, it's an honor to have you with us. Uh, Brother Jewel is renovating his church down there in Gastonia. And uh, since they didn't have church today, called and uh, wanted to come up and visit and bring some of his folks. And so we're just honored to have you with us today. May God bless you. And uh, going to get him back to minister here for us. Brother Chisholm, I think it's about time we close that gap on three years. That'd be all right? Good to have you with us today. We look at you as part of the family today. And uh, appreciate you. And uh, good to have all of you here today. Brother Roger, good to have you with us uh, today. And uh, Sister Caroline, didn't know you were going to be here today. Good to see your smiling face, and uh, may God bless all of you. Now, I'm going to uh, jump right in because uh, you've created such a nice atmosphere to minister in, and I don't want to change that at all. Uh, but I want to give you a couple of announcements here and a prayer request, and then we're going to stand and pray uh, again before we do that uh, this morning. September 5th is Sister Karen's birthday, right? Sister Karen, God bless you. September 7th is Sister Mary Smith's birthday. And um, Brother Smith wrote me this morning, and I talked to him on the phone, and uh, he said, you know, we're, uh, we have a number of issues that are going on. And uh, Brother Smith just turned 80, and he said, but we are really, really blessed. He said, we just really feel like we're really blessed. And uh, I appreciate their our positive attitude. Uh, September 10th is the Ivy's anniversary, right? How many years, Brother Billy? 29 years. Wow, wonderful. And uh, Sister Doris's birthday on the same day, right? September 10th, Sister Doris? Sister Doris, it's good to have you back with us. And uh, good to see you recovering. And good to have you here today. 
<clears throat> a couple of things here that I wanted to pass along to you. And I'll make one blanket statement here about my voice. It's a little heavy uh, this morning and just been uh, dealing with that. I'm not uh, contagious, been uh, tested and certified to be here today, so uh, we're good. Um, October 15th, we're going to have uh, the ladies' tea uh, going to be here, and we want you to mark that date, and you'll get more information about that on, on October 15th. Brother Tim Ashong is not here uh, today. He's in Washington, D.C., up there with Brother Mike Walls. And uh, Brother Tim, uh, being uh, close with the family of Sister Solis, who passed away uh, last week and gone up there to uh, meet them and to visit them, and they're going to Apparently, they're going to do a, a real true Ghanaian funeral, if I understand correctly, where you're going to do the death announcement and all of that. And uh, so he's gone up there to be with him this weekend. Uh, last week, he had an MRI done, and he had a biopsy done, and so he's waiting on results for those uh, tests as well. So we want to hold our brother Tim up in prayer and just trust that the Lord will bless him. Also, we are working with the Secretary of State, and uh, the ambassador uh, to Ghana to get his wife over here. And so we've written letters and done the uh, proper procedures here, and the doctors helped us. So we're hoping to get his wife. She has some medical training, and it would be good if he does go through surgery to have his wife with us. So we'd ask you to remember that need as well. The Browns are not here today, and uh, Sister Caitlin has strep throat, and uh, they're... uh, they decided to just isolate today. And also, uh, Ava has an astigmatism in one eye. And uh, she's going on Wednesday because she has a lack of focus in that eye. <clears throat> and so uh, they've asked us to remember that need in prayer, and I told them we sure would. Uh, Wednesday night I mentioned that our neighbor, we have wonderful neighbors, uh, the Hilton family, uh, they lost their child after 28 weeks, and uh, it was delivered asleep uh, on Friday, and uh, we sure are, have been holding them up in prayer. Uh, they're good neighbors uh, to us, and, and uh, we, we appreciate them very much. been a very young family, second child, very tough blow uh, for the family. Now, uh, a little while back, we had on a Wednesday night, we had the Tawari family here. You may remember them. They were here from Michigan, and they came on a Wednesday night, and they visited, and they were in the area and wanted to come and be at the church here. And uh, we've known the Tawaris for many, many years, and uh, they're just dear friends. Uh, Sister Tawari went to Israel with us with her granddaughter. And uh, we just found out yesterday that Elizabeth Tawari, who was here, uh, had a case of breast cancer uh, initially, and they they believe it has metastasized, and they did a test this week, and uh, apparently she was uh, in, in a very serious situation with cancer. I'll get a picture for you because you'll recognize her when you see her, but uh, if you don't mind remembering that need in prayer, that would be uh, really good. It's just been a really, really tough blow uh, for them. They're a great family, love the Lord, and... Uh, her brother is the pastor of the church up there. Her father was the pastor uh, of the church for many years, and now her, her brother is, and uh, we, we certainly do want to remember Elizabeth uh, in prayer. Um, <clears throat> we've been asked also to remember Caroline Bailey. Caroline Bailey is the girlfriend of 
uh, Julian, and uh, God's been doing a great work in Julian's life, and uh, we appreciate that very much. I've been in contact with him a lot lately, and he asked me to remember his uh, girlfriend, Caroline, who's from Johnson City, and they attend there at Johnson City, and she would be roughly how old, do you think? 25 years old. She's been diagnosed with stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma at 25 years old. And uh, this morning, uh, this week, I've been in contact with Julian. He asked me to mention that as a public prayer request and ask if we could remember that need in prayer. That's awfully young, and uh, we want to ask the Lord to undertake for her. As well, yesterday, uh, there was a friend of ours who, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, I went to visit, I got a call, and went to visit Roanoke Memorial Hospital for a Larry Hale who was driving a three-wheel tractor across a hill this way. Three-wheel tractor going across the hill this way is not a good situation. And the tractor kicked out, rolled over his leg, and he was put in the hospital there. Uh, Yesterday, uh, he was driving that same tractor on a hill. It rolled over, and he didn't make it. He passed away. And uh, he lives out in Floyd. Uh, Sister Becky grew up with the Hales and their family and the church there. And uh, we sure want to hold up the family in prayer. I called up yesterday and talked to the family, uh, Brother Roy Akers, and uh, it's just been a real tough blow for the family there. Uh, that's the kind of age we live in. It's the kind of time we were, times we're facing. And uh, it just pays to be in the right, right place with God and uh, to be standing where you need to be standing in an hour like this. But uh, for all of these families and all of these individuals, these are not light prayer requests at all. These are serious prayer requests. And so I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, to stand to your feet, and uh, we'll take your Bible this morning. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 9. I knew we had all of these ministers coming today, and I knew I could have got any one of them to minister, and they gladly would have. Good to have Brother Aaron back and Sister Trish Uh, from Zimbabwe, and I know they gladly would have done that, but I just felt this so pressing on my heart and uh, just felt like it would be good for us to tackle this topic today and uh, share what the Lord had on my heart. And I don't want to become a stranger here. You know, I don't want to have to wear a name tag. But before we read the scripture this morning, let's just speak to him. And we'll, we'll take these requests this morning together before his throne. And I want you also not to leave out your request, because I know every one of you have requests in your heart and issues in your life, questions and decisions to make. And so uh, let's all bow our heads together and bind our requests together now, yours and these ones that I've mentioned here today. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of mercy and grace today, and we are so grateful. It is the throne of mercy, and it is a throne of grace. And Lord, as we read these needs, our hearts are heavy just reading them, Lord, just talking about them. And you, you think about the anguish and the, the mourning and the, and the different stresses, Lord, that these people feel. They're people just like us. They're people, Lord, who believe just like us. And and Father, they're human beings with families and loved ones. And, and Lord, now the enemy just comes in like a flood. And we're going to stand together in prayer now today and ask, oh God, that you'd be gracious and, and Lord, merciful to them. 
Bring healing where it's needed, Lord, we pray, in all these situations where cancer has occurred. And Father, we, we ask and pray that your grace and mercy would be visibly and physically extended to them. Lord, may the angels encamp around about those that are mourning and need comfort. And Father, for everyone from little Ava all the way to the eldest among us, Lord, we, we pray that your, uh, your peace, Lord, would just rest upon them. And let them know, Lord, that they have people praying for them. And let them know, Lord Jesus, that there's a God who heals and a God who comforts and a God who delivers and a God who, who, who can do the impossible. Lord, I, I just ask, O oh, oh Lord, that your angels would be present with them today. Father, we thank you for this gathering. And now ask, Lord, that your anointing would be poured out upon the word. And Lord, may you just have your way among us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read four verses here. <clears throat> and it came to pass, verse 10, 9 and 10, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, they didn't say to Jesus, they said to the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? In other words, why are you showing compassion or interest to them? Why are you bothering with them? But when Jesus heard that, now he wasn't spoken to, but he heard it, and he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And then he says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That's Hosea 6 and 6. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. Five years ago, almost to the day, I went to Scotland and they had an annual convention. And I was there ministering on this very topic. I approached it here as well in our own church. And when I opened up, this has just been on my heart, it's just been burning. I kept bumping into it and running into it again. It's kind of unusual, you know, to go back five years and be looking, but I, I kept bumping into this sermon, this, this PowerPoint that I had. And I decided then to open it up this week, and I was looking at it, and uh, I, I just, um, just began to kind of browse through it, and I thought, wow, is that all I said? Uh, and I, 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 didn't really, I didn't really feel like that five years ago I answered the question about what this verse 10 actu- or 13 actually says, where Jesus says, you guys need to stop for a minute. You need to go back and learn what it means when it says in the Old Testament, I will have mercy. You need to go back and learn that. Now, where would Jesus have sent them to learn that? Where would he have advised them to go? They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have Brother Branham. They didn't have Paul to give a commentary at this point. So where would he have sent them to go learn or relearn what it means to have mercy? And I, I began to ponder on this, and I began to think about uh, this obligation that we uh, we have to be able to show to to show mercy to one another. I think it is every Christian's responsibility to show mercy to one another. 
And it is a part of the character of God to show mercy. So I'd like to deal with that question uh, today where Jesus says, if I was there in the congregation, Jesus, Jesus says, but now ye go and learn what it means uh, to, when, when he saith, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, and I'm not come to call the righteous to repentance but the sinner. So I want to uh, deal directly with that, but I'm going to preamble just a little bit, all right? I'm going to talk a little bit first about generally the subject of mercy and forgiveness and, and grace a little bit. And uh, just to kind of get your thinking in that direction here, because this is kind of a one-off. Uh, this is not a, a series, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so just bear with me here as we look at this. Are we all right? have a wonderful atmosphere here now to have church in today. Now, <clears throat> letting off the pressure, Brother Manna makes a statement in Aberdeen, North Carolina. I have no idea where that is, uh, but it was close enough uh, to hear. He says, now, we don't have to hurry and scuffle and act like the rest of the world. Quieten down, what a blessed assurance we have. Just like a baby, lay your trust over on him and let him take all your cares. Let him take all your cares, Brother Jewel, for he cares for you. And don't try to, uh, don't try to do anything about it. It's his business. And as long as you're fooling with it, he can't have it. Wow. And we love to fool with it. We love to hang on to it and kind of turn it over and turn it over and turn it over. But there comes a point where you've got to give it to him and give it to him in faith, right? And then trust that he's, he's got it, he's heard it, he's going to take care of it. And as long as you keep fooling with it, then God can't have it. So when you give it to God, don't go, 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 don't go taking it back. Give it to him and let it, let it rest in his arms. And when you turn it loose and let him have it, he will take care of it for you. When you give it to him in faith, he will take care of it. Now don't, don't tell him how he's got to take care of it. And don't tell him when he's got to take care of it. Just give it to him in faith and then believe that he's going to take care of it for you. What a perfect calmness, Brother Joe. What a perfect calmness the Christian ought to have. What a perfect calmness the Christian ought to have. I think that's a wonderful quote. I think that's a wonderful way for us to start. Now, let's deal with this attitude that we have. And mercy really is about an attitude. And, and in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to made like unto his brethren, that uh, he might be a merciful and faithful high priest pertaining uh, in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to secure, he's able to identify, he's able to comfort, uh, he's able to uh, put his arm around somebody uh, that is being tempted and going through a difficult time because he's been there and he's done that and he knows exactly what it feels and he's got the, he's got the bumper sticker to prove it. Uh, he's been down this road, he knows exactly how you feel, you're not going to surprise him, you're not going to shock him. He's been, he's been there and he feels that and he knows that and he can relate to it right away, no matter what you've been through. And that's the kind of God that we serve. Now that's an amazing thing that, uh, you know, in, in uh, culture and in history and in the world around us, uh, people, uh, people look at gods as all, way off there. Uh, they look at gods as, as powers that you cannot approach or that you cannot speak to. Our God is different. Our God comes down, puts his arm right around you. He'll sit next to you in church and he'll just say, hey, hey, it's all right. It's going to be all right. You, you may not understand what, why you're going through this, but it's going to be all right. I got, I got this. I got this. And to hear our God say to you, I got this, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. You are, we are a privileged people to have that kind of a, to serve that kind of a God. 
Now, I, I gotta, I gotta insert this because this is such an important statement and it's really a good lesson for all of us on every level to learn. Brother Branham says, who is this? He said, Emmanuel, God with us, not only with us, but he's in us, through us, and in the midst of us. And if that's true, how many believe that's true? If that's true, then a supernatural God cannot change his nature to fit people's nature. People has to change their nature to fit God's supernatural plan. It's not because I really want it, God's going to do it. It's not because I think that's what should be done, God's going to do it. That ain't the way it works. It's, Lord, we surrender, we submit our need to you, and we're going to say whatever it takes, whatever you want to do, Lord, whatever, whatever you decide, that's good enough for me. And, and that's, that's, Lord, I'll accept your will, I'll accept your way, and, and that's what we should do. And it's God in the midst of his people, and God will never, God will never, come to your level, you got to come to His. God will not come to your requirement. You have to come to God. Wow. I, you know, you, you may say, well, I, I just feel like that, you know, that's not, that's not fair, and I think that God should kind of bow to my requirements. Well, good luck. Uh, it's probably not been going so well so far uh, for you to have that attitude. But I'll tell you what, God will not come to your requirements. He, he wants you to come to his. And then when that requirement has been met, your entire being changes and your thinking changes. And that's God's goal in many cases is just to make sure you're looking at things right. And he wants you to think differently. Your habits change. Everything about you changes and your desire changes and your living changes and your habits change and you change. And everything about you changes because there's new life in you. So don't ask God to come and meet your requirements. You've got to come to God. And don't, don't you, well, you think, well, I'm in a message family. I'm in a message family, whatever that means. I'm in a, a message church, and I know Brother Barry real well. And, uh, you know, I got, I got all, been to several camps and so forth. God owes me something. That's a spirit of entitlement that you don't want to get messed up in at all. Even if you got somebody like Job as your father and he's offering sacrifices for you, this still comes down to a personal encounter with God. And, and it means that you're going to submit to God and you're going to lay down your life and say, Lord, I'm yours. You're not mine. I'm yours. And I, I just want to let you lead me and, and guide me and you deal with me according to your will. Is that all right? I just, I, I think that's important for us to, uh, to, to talk about in the very beginning here because Many times, it's not up to you what things will come your way. You'll have things come your way that you never expected at all. I mean, they'll, it'll blow you out of the water sometimes, the things that will happen to you. The things that will creep into your family. You probably try to do a really good job at surrounding your family. And all of a sudden, you've got issues that you've got to deal with. And you didn't really bring it on, but it's there. Or there's people in your life, or people have wronged you, or people have accused you, or people have criticized you, or whatever else. And all of a sudden you're faced with a situation like an illness, or a job situation, or whatever. Let me tell you something. God, God uh, he's, he doesn't just fling things out there and, uh, you know, uh, just, just uh, to stay busy. Let me tell you, God tailors what he sends to you, because God knows what, he, what, is, what effect that's going to have on you. And the whole thing here, the whole screen is filled with the word change. And so God wants you to change. And some of the ways that you'll best change is through pain. Pain is the best teacher you'll ever have. They always, medical people always worry when a person loses the, the sensitivity in their nerves so they can't feel. 
and, and it's real easy for them to get burnt on a stove or real easy to have, for them to have injuries and not know it because they lose that sense of pain. Pain stops you. Pain teaches you. Pain tells you you need to stop doing that and do something else. You need to draw back, right? Pain will tell you that. We're not Marines here. We're not Marines here. But I will tell you that pain is a good teacher. And, and there are many times that there are things that come into your life simply to cause you to change. And that's what God wants to bring about in your life. And I believe when it comes to this idea of mercy, I don't believe that we always get choices as to who we want to show mercy to. If mercy is an attribute of God, let me tell you, Jesus did not, he did not discriminate and say, well, uh, I'm going to show mercy to this, this one and not this one. He's, he's a God of mercy and his mercy is new every day. Now let's talk a little bit about forgiveness now today, just for a moment here. And I'm just, I'm just inserting this in here so we'll have it in our, in our minds as well. Now, <clears throat> David writes this, and I, I think it's a wonderful thing. The, the image here is Jesus with the woman who was found committing adultery and he's writing in the sand. And, uh, you know, that situation came out a little bit differently than what everybody around thought. But David writes this, if thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, if you record iniquities, Lord, who shall stand? If you're going to start adding up iniquities, my goodness, does anybody here want to go first and say, I don't have any? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared or respected. Thou mayest be worshipped. I'm glad there is forgiveness with him. And how many are glad that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And if there ever was forgiveness with him, there still is forgiveness today. You want to give the devil a black eye? How many here today would like to give the devil a black eye? We all make mistakes and we all do things wrong, right? I'll tell you what, the best thing for you to do is when you do something wrong and you make a mistake, and we all do it, you need to go to God and repent thoroughly. And when you know that you've repented and you've given it to God and you've told Him how you really feel about it, and you're asking Him to help you not to do it again, you get up and walk away in victory and say, thank you, Jesus, and leave and wipe the tears out of your eyes and just go on your way, you'll give the devil a black eye. Because he wants you to feel all day long like you haven't done enough. He wants you to feel all day long like, uh, you know what, you're still under condemnation and you're still a lousy uh, good for nothing and you're, you know, you're, uh, you're just a failure to begin with. And I'll tell you what, you should just turn back to him and say, you know what, you're absolutely right. But in terms of what he sees, he doesn't see that in me at all. He sees me as somebody who's been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and he just removed my offense as far as the east is from the west. And you know what? It's gone. In the eyes of God and in the mind of God, it's gone. And I don't need to worry about it anymore. And when you do that, you'll give the devil a black eye. But he is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of forgiveness. Mercy refers to the kind or forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly. We could say that Joseph showed mercy to his brothers who could have been treated quite harshly over how they treated him. But he didn't do it. He extended mercy to them. Because they were afraid after Jacob died that all of a sudden now J- Joseph would be free and had the power and the position and the authority to get even with his brothers. And he didn't. He gathered them around and he said, hey, no, listen, you've got the wrong interpretation of this whole thing. And what Joseph did was express true mercy because he was kind and forgiving to them who could have been treated quite harshly. Is that clear? So it is an attitude more than anything else. And, and even, even, let me tell you, if you fail to show mercy in a situation like that, in the eyes of God, that, that condition is worse than the offense that the person committed against you. 
Now, I could show you that in the Scripture. We also can say that forgiveness refers to the letting go of the anger and resentment against a person, even though you may have, logically, you might have a right to hold on to it. But when we forgive somebody, we actually tear it up. That's, I showed you that many times. And, and how that, uh, you know, you tear something up and let it go. And it doesn't become a root of bitterness. It doesn't become anything else. You're just going to let it go. Just going to let it go. We're going we're gonna to forgive and we're going to let it go. But my attitude now towards that situation or towards that person is going to be uh, a reflection of the mercy that I extend. And I believe that if you want to have God to show mercy to you, I believe that you need to show mercy to other people as well. All right, we'll get into that. Now, how forgiveness works is real easy because personally, God forgave our sins. How many are thankful for that? And number two, we must forgive one another. That's true. And number three is number one depends on number two. Let me go at it again. Number one, personally, God forgives our sins. Everybody got that? Number two, we must forgive one another. And number three, number one depends on number two. Because you've got to forgive from your heart so your heavenly Father will forgive you. Let me say it one more time. Because I think three is a good number. Personally, God forgives our sins. Somebody say amen. amen. Number two, you've got to forgive one another, right? And number three, number one depends on number two. So shall likewise my heavenly Father also do unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So number one really depends on number two. You ought, to, you ought to write this down, put it on your fridge. And I'll tell you what, I like this little piece of advice because Brother Bram says every one of you right now, if you've got unforgiven sins, you confess it and make it right and God will heal you. But he can't heal you with unforgiven sin. Satan still has a jurisdiction over you. All right, I'll tell you what, that's a pretty uncomfortable feeling when Satan has a jurisdiction over you. You wouldn't want to have the Chinese government to have jurisdiction over you, even though they kind of sort of do. But, uh, I mean, if you go to Walmart, they do. You don't want to have Satan, though, to have jurisdiction over, over your life. Right. You don't want to have that, right? You, you, don't, want to, you don't want to experience that, that, that Satan has jurisdiction. In other words, he has the right or control over you. But when you harbor unconfessed sin, then he has a right to stay there. And that's the condition. As far as I know, it's the only condition that he has a right to stay there. But he has a right to stay there. And as long as he stays there, he can hold up or shield away the blessing of God from your life. It he can't take away eternal life because that's eternal. Right? He can't take away your salvation because that's eternal. Come on, somebody say amen. But he can, he can, he can actually shield off, ward off the blessings of God from your life because he has a right to stay right there. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life. And you're, sometimes the very best thing that Christians can learn to do, and learn to do quickly, is just let go. Let go of your anger. Let go of the offense. And let go of the, uh, you know, something you got in your heart there. Just let it go. Go make it right. Do it quickly, Brother Bram said. And just get those things shed. Get moving on because the devil, he'll stay there as long as he possibly can. Until he has, uh, until he, until he sees a sheriff coming. And, uh, you know, he's there to overthrow everything that Satan's, uh, you know, made the claim for. And when the sheriff comes and puts him out, he's evicted. Let me tell you, he can't go back there. Praise God, you are free. And he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. 
And a lot of that freedom business depends on your attitude here and your willingness to go make things right and let things go and don't let them turn into seeds of bitterness and just give it to God and move on because Satan's tactic is obviously to stall the bride, especially this close to the finish line. That's the way it works. Now, I'm going kind of fast here because I'm, I'm, I'm moving to something. And uh, I, I, I just, I just want to expound on this just a little bit more. Because we read in Lamentations that it is of the Lord's mercy we are not consumed. And that's really true. Because his compassions, they fail not. And they are new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. They are great, they are new every morning. It's amazing how, you know, you could, you could experience the mercy of God and you could know that the mercy of God has spared you. And then tomorrow morning the account's still full. He's got enough for today too. And even though you may have used a good portion of it yesterday, today's account is still showing full. He's got, he's got an abundance there. His, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that is, but he's got new mercies every day. It's, the account just replenishes itself. And it is a wonderful thing because uh, his mercy, it just does not fail. It just does not run out. And you can say, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will hope in him. I'll, I'll hope in a God who, who shows mercy continually and has more and more mercy to show. Now, if you never grew up knowing mercy, if you never grew up experiencing mercy from your parents, you'll have a tough time showing mercy to someone else. That's really true. Because when you made a mistake and it was, you know, repeated over and over and over and over again, and you were reminded of it over and over again, you really never experienced mercy, right? Because they could, even though the the offense is past, the memory of it is still revived and made very fresh. You'll feel like, you will feel like you had to repay every time. Let me tell you a little story about how mercy works with God. I, I heard a story, uh, and I'm just going to repeat this. I'm gonna, I heard about a family that in order to get their young boys, about eight or nine years old, to get this, they lived in a neighborhood, and uh, they, they were trying to get him to be responsible, so they had a chore chart. And uh, they got a, a tick in the box every time he got the chore done and cleaned up his room or whatever else and put away his bike and all the things that he did and clicked off the chore chart. And uh, that's the way they were trying to, to raise him. But in the neighborhood, they also had a bully. And this bully was a bad boy. I mean, he was a rascal, big, ugly, you know, brute kind of a fella. And uh, I, I mean, might have been not ugly to his mother probably, but either way... Bad dude. And so when he roamed through the neighborhood, the other kids, they really, they really knew it, and they tried to avoid him. And this person tells a story that when, they, uh, when that bully came through one day and worked over that boy, he come into the garage, and, and that's the way he entered in the house. They left the garage door open all day, and he come into the garage, and he was hollering, Dad, top of his voice. And it echoed because it was in the garage, and they heard him in the house. And the mother said, the mother said, because she was, uh, she was saying that in, in her heart, she was kind of wondering about this definition of mercy and how it actually worked. 
And she said, can you imagine that if our boy came in and he had been worked over by that neighborhood bully and came in the house and he wanted dad to come and help, that the mother said, hey, hold on, let me go down and check his chore chart. If he's got all of his boxes ticked, then we'll go help him out. And if not, you know what? We'll just let the devil work him over. She said that would be unthinkable. Because a real father and a real mother are going to respond to that. Now, hey, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're not going to deal with him about the chart later. But in that time of emergency and in that time of stress, you know what? I believe we serve a God who is there to extend his mercy and his help and his compassion to us whenever we call upon him and whenever we have need of him. How many believe that? He doesn't go look and say, hey, did you go to church? Did you pay all your tithes? Did you get everything all checked off in the boxes there? And if you did, I'm going to come show mercy to you. I don't see that's how God works. I, I believe that God is, God is a little looser than that. I, I believe that he, he looks at our heart and he, and he knows what, exactly what it is that's, uh, that's going in our lives. And I'll tell you what, uh, I, I just have that confidence that, uh, you know, he, he knows exactly what the, what the problem is and he's put people in your life to help out. Even if it, you don't see him, there are people in your life that God's put there to help you out. It, now, let me say, it doesn't mean that a person doesn't reap what they sow. Because you can't stop that. That's scripture, right? And mercy doesn't fight this other scripture over here in Galatians. A person's going to reap what they sow. If they live a certain kind of a life, hey, they're going to reap what they sow. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I'm going to let you walk all over me and hurt me again. Hello? Uh, there, there, may have, there may have been some situation or some issue in your family or something else. But I'm not going to let you do that again and do it over and over again because that's enabling a person. And God does not enable people who abuse other people to do it again. And I believe that whenever we have experiences like that, we need to learn from those experiences because there are some people who they're bound by this world and they're bound by spirits and different things in this world. And, you know, it, it's a very difficult thing for them to shake those things here. And I believe that even though we show mercy because we're called upon that, and that's an attribute of God, hey, we're not going to let a person, we're not going to let someone destroy our family because uh, they're, they're taking advantage of that uh, heart that we have towards somebody else. You know, there's some things that you can do to make a change. There's some, I, I know, I know a, a situation I'm thinking of where uh, this young man was over in Vietnam, and when he was over there, he got introduced to drugs by his, uh, his fellow soldiers just to survive in the, in, the, in the situation over there in Vietnam, which was terrible. When he came back, he was still addicted and, uh, you know, tried to, make his, tried to get his life right. And uh, He'd be gone six or seven years. He'd live with some woman or some family or something else, and then six or seven years later, that would break up, so he'd, fall, he'd wind up coming home. Hey, I want to make things right, family. I want to get... Want to get my life in order. Want to get things restructured again. So they'd help him out, buy him a truck, get him medical care, do whatever they needed to. And he'd be gone, gone off the deep end and, you know, go over and over and over again. Wound up eventually, the end of the story, wound up eventually committing suicide in a, an abandoned building. But it's not because the mercy had, because, not because the family hadn't shown mercy. They did show mercy. They did everything they possibly could. Because before the last time that they, uh, when he contacted that family, they said, hey, we, we can't have you come into the family again and tear our family apart. But there is, there is a clinic. There is a place where you can go.
And they said, this is not a message family now, but they said there's a, fa- there's a place that you can go. And they paid for that, that clinic to take him. And it would be an extended period of time for him to go there. And after a month, he just kind of said to the people who owned the place, he said, you've got a great thing going here, and it's a great place, but it's not for me. So thanks, no thanks, I'm going to leave. And leaves of his own accord. So there comes a point where a person's got to make those decisions on their own. Isn't that right? And you know what? The answer isn't always in clinics and medicines and all that kind of programs because it's really got to come from within, right? There's got to be something within that says, I don't want to live my life this way. I don't want to continue this way. And I believe as, you know, the best kind of mercy you can show is to pray that God somehow would take their life apart so that he could come into their life and speak to them and give them that surrender, that total surrender that they need, that they'll turn their life over to Christ because he's the answer to our problems. How many believe that? He's the answer. He's the one. He's the doctor. He's the great physician. He's the fixer. So when it comes to mercy, there's lots of different examples here, and there's lots of different situations here. But I just want to say this to, to you this morning. And I, I was thinking of this scripture this morning early, and it says in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How many believe he's the God of all comfort? Now watch, who comforted us in our tribulation that, so that, God does this to us so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort we ourselves are comforted of God. So God does something in you so it can flow through you. Look at it again. God gives you this comfort. God gives you this blessing of his help and his compassion but he doesn't give it to you just so it stops there. He gives it now so you can give it out to somebody else when they have need of. And people are going to come to you, and especially in times like this. Hey, have you noticed our prayer requests that we read this morning? There's all kinds of people around with serious needs that we have. And you know what? We ought to be the ones to go to them and say, Hey, I hear your struggle. I hear what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. And uh, I, I can't feel what it's like to lose a baby in stillbirth. Or I can't, uh, you know, know what it's like for a girl about 30, 35 years old to have uh, cancer all through her body here. I, I don't know exactly what that feels like, but I'm here to at least pray with you and to help you and to send you a card or, or just reach out to you and say, here's a meal card or here's something else. Or, hey, you don't have to look real far, but in our own assembly right here to be able to do that. And Paul says that God gives you this in you so it can go through you. And God wants it to go through you. And I'll tell you what, you got a lot of disgruntled you got a lot of disgruntled and unhappy Christian believers who are here only. Now, I'm not saying you now. I'm not talking just to you. I'm talking in general. But who only come to church to get something for themselves, you know, to themselves. And it goes no farther. And come Wednesday night and say, I dare you to bless me again. Hey, you missed the point. The point is, is that we are a people that ought to show mercy. And therefore, God's given you something so you can give it out to somebody else. And that's when your joy comes. And that's when your peace comes. This isn't just for you. It is for you, through you, to somebody else. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. God gives you comfort, not just to make you comfortable. Thank God he comes to give us comfort in times of need. But he gave you comfort also to be able to show firsthand what it means to see somebody who needs a little comfort and to know how to give it. You say, that's good, Brother Barry. You better believe it's good. Now you're going to think I'm a Presbyterian uh, 
or we're going to want up a, open up a Presbyterian soup kitchen here by the time we're done. But I want you to stay with me here as we look at this, because now here Jesus says, I want you to go and learn what that meaneth. Where did he send them? He would have had to send them back to the Word, because that's where Jesus sent people. Go back and look at what the prophet said. So he, sent, he wants them to go back and to see exactly what the Scriptures teach. Now, Paul would come along later and say, I have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but the God that showeth mercy. So what did God do with that spirit of mercy? Now, here I'm going to ask you to look at a couple of passages of Scriptures, two that I want you to look at. I'm going to read a couple of others for you, but Isaiah 56, if you don't mind, go back there. Isaiah chapter 56. Just say amen when you got it, all right? I will say this, a lot of my experience in life, I deal with believers. Deal with believers in church, deal with believers in other churches, I deal with believers all over the world. Uh, meet needs, answer questions, and so forth. Uh, do things for believers all over the world. I interact, obviously, with people in my community, but I'm not near as much in touch with sinners and the destitute, the addicted, and hurting people as much as you are. You people are on the job every day. You go to, you go to places where you're probably the only believer who's in that place. You, you go to schools and you might be the only believing family in that school. And you know what? It would be good for us to get this principle because you're, you're, you're really the ones that God wants to work through. Now, you may not think that. You think, oh, well, it's got to be the pastor giving out all these great fancy sermons. No, it isn't just that. I'm only doing part of my job if it stops there. When you go home and take that out into this community, wouldn't you agree that this community needs some comfort and some light and some good word and some solid uh, families in, in, our, in our community? I'll tell you what, we really do in the communities that you're from. Well, a lot of times we think, you know, the message in a sense, and I don't mean this in a critical way. I'm trying hard to say this just right. We're kind of spoiled when it comes to all Brother Bram's teachings about eternal life and the attributes of God and the Lamb's Book of Life and all of that. We kind of get the feeling, well, we don't need to do anything. We just really need to put our feet up, get a big gulper, and uh, turn on the tape, and we'll be all right, and everybody else will be all right because they're all predestinated anyway. And Jesus said, I'm not going to lose any. And that, that flies in the face of a whole bunch of scriptures and quotes that I could give you where we're supposed to go out into all the world and teach and preach and pray for people. And when you think, when you think it's just us, us, and we don't need to worry about them, God's going to bring them in somehow. Well, let me ask you, how, you know, what hands is God going to use? What Philip is God going to use? Lord, let me be a Philip that God would send me to a place and put me on a plane and a seat next to somebody or in a job situation. Uh, you know, Brother Chisholm over there and you, you're, you're sent over here and there's a co-worker over here and he comes along and asks you a question here. Hey, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in your life that are awfully ordained of God. They're, they're pretty ordained of God. Now, Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 1. Now, it says here that, and, and I have a Schofield Bible and on the top of the chapter it says ethical instructions. These are instructions that God wanted to give the people in the moral sense. And thus saith the Lord, keep ye ye judgment and do justice. Keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come and my righteousness is to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this. Do what? Keep judgment and do justice. 
do the right thing. I will tell you that our country is, is in the verge of a real divert, a split. And a lot of it is because people really don't know what's right and what's not right. Should we go in the mar largo Should we not go in the mar largo Should this person be allowed to run? Should this and that person? And all these other things here. And everybody feels they're right. Nobody really knows what's right. And don't let that obscure. Don't let that obscure what God teaches to be as justice and truth. We live in a world where that, those terms are tr- Satan doing everything he can to try to confuse those terms. Stick with the Bible definitions of these things, all right? Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keeping his hand from doing evil. So God is, God is telling them now, you know, yes, we have commandments, we have prophets and all of that, but I want you to keep ye judgment and do justice because my salvation's come near. In other words, your salvation is depending on these things here and keep these things near because these prophets have given us sound instruction here. Now he goes on, 56, 57, and 58. Now watch in 58. Here's where it gets, I think, here's where it gets interesting. 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, spear ye not, lift up the voice like a trumpet, and, cry, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. This is to Isaiah. I want you to say this. I want you to show my people their transgression. You've got to show it to them because they don't, they don't realize they're in a transgression. All right? So I need you to point it out to them. Two, yet they seek me daily, the people of Israel. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask me of the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Sounds like they're doing everything right. Isn't that what it sounds like? They're asking me of the ordinance of justice. They're taking delight in approaching God. They're fasting. Verse 3, Wherefore have ye fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Lord, don't you see us when we fast? And wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. You're fasting to make yourselves look good. You're fasting to make yourself stronger in the debate. You're fasting so that you can be benefited by this. Listen to me now. Is it such a fast that I've chosen? A day for a man to afflict his own soul? Is this my reasons for you to fast? Because they're saying, we fasted. Why aren't you noticing? Why aren't you blessing us? Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Let me tell you about my fast, God says. To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. And that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? And that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him? And that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? 
Then shall thy light break forth at the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rare reward. Did you get that? You fast to make yourselves look good because then you can go down to the marketplace and people see you and say, oh, wow, they're so religious. They're fasting and they're seeking God and all of this. But it was really intended. And God, remember now, God knows the heart. And he's saying, wow, they really are. People are looking at that. They they got everybody fooled, right? They got everybody fooled. And, And God is looking at that and saying, you know what? They're going through all of this and they're doing it for the wrong reason. Let me tell you about my fast, why, why I would inspire somebody to fast. I would inspire you to fast so you can be strong on behalf of the oppressed. I want you to be strong on behalf of those that have no bread. And that you would, when you see somebody uh, who's afflicted, you take them into their house. You remember the parable Jesus gives about the, uh, the man who was uh, the good Samaritan? Remember that? And, and the scribe, scribes and the Pharisees pass by and, oh, he's not one of us. He's not in our church. He doesn't believe like we do. And so they pass right on by and they didn't want to be defiled at all by this guy. And this fellow comes down. You know, this Samaritan comes down and he just sees this fellow and he says, hey, listen, come on. He pours oil and wine into his wounds and puts him on his donkey and brings him down to the hotel, takes out his visa, swipes it and says, hey, whatever, whatever he needs, however many days he wants to stay. He doesn't know this guy. He's not doing it for any other benefit at all. Nobody's going to know. We don't know who, what this guy's name is. But he's got a, he's got a, a you know, a, a card there on file that whatever he needs, as long as he wants to stay and rest up and be healed, just let him go ahead and do that. Jesus asked, which guy, which guy really treated his neighbor right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just reading what it says here. Because all I'm doing now is showing you what Jesus meant when he said, you folks need to go back and learn what it means to have mercy. Okay? So I'm just pointing back with you now to look in this chapter here to see all of what this means. Now, <clears throat> verse 9. And thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, here am I. In other words, if you do the fast right, if you seek God, if you seek justice right, if thou take away from the midst of the yoke and the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and, and thy darkness shall be as the noonday. God says, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for them. You, you think about them. You think about their need. You think about how you can help a person who's in a place where they don't have uh, food or they, they're an afflicted soul. I don't know. Let me pause for a minute. Do you, I, I, I know lots of afflicted souls. I know lots of afflicted souls. And an, an afflicted soul doesn't need the Marines to come in and say, all right, I'll take care of this. I'll, let's take this apart. You do this and you do this. You go here. We'll make a list. We'll get this done right. Sometimes an afflicted soul only wants somebody to come and sit next to them. And just to be there for him and to pray with him and just move on. You know, a lot of times that's all an afflicted soul needs is that they just don't need to feel any more alone in the world than what they already feel. They just need somebody to come along and put their arm around them and say, hey, it's all right, got your back here. Might not be able to fix this problem, but you know what? I got your back. And that's all right. That's, an afflicted soul is somebody who's just been, they've been beaten down, they've been hurt, they've been discouraged and, and going through all of those things there, and they just need somebody to come along. And I pray God, I, I pray God would give us in this assembly the sensitivity to know 
recognize when somebody's got an afflicted soul and just to be able to come along. And it might be just a thumbs up on a text or it might be a call or it might be something else. But may God give us the kind of hearts that we could recognize somebody's got an afflicted soul and just reach out to them and say, hey, I got your back. Thinking about you today. And the Lord... He says now, as a result of you doing this, and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought, make thy fat bones, but fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden and, and like a spring of water. And that's a very valuable thing in that part of the world whose waters fail not. And they shall be of thee, shall build the old waste places, and thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the paths and so forth. Verse 14, and thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and so forth and so, so on. And, and, and this, is, this is exactly, this is exactly what, what uh, God is telling the people to do. There's a parallel passage. If you don't mind, go to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. I'm not going to read all of these, but uh, here, here it is on the, on the, partially on the board here. Zechariah chapter 7. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, and the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Remember now, ethical, ethical instructions were not replaced by the cross. Let me remind you, the Old Testament consists of three sections of law. One of them was the ceremonial law, offering of blood of bulls and goats and so forth. That was done away with in Calvary. The second thing was the dietary laws, also done away with in Calvary. You don't want to defile yourself by eating this and this, done away at Calvary. The third section of the law was the moral law. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? Jesus does not do away with that at Calvary. He says, as a matter of fact, let me magnify the law for you. You've heard it said in old times, let me make it bigger. That didn't go away. So therefore, you can take this passage and you can bring it, park it right in your driveway. Okay? Now watch what he says. Verse 9, verse 10. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. Let none of you imagine evil against his brother. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Watch. They did this. They pulled away the shoulder. I'm not listening to that. Now, you don't need to physically do that, but I can tell when you do it spiritually. I can tell when the atmosphere in this church changes, and Brother Jewel will tell you the same thing. You ministers will know that when the people, you say something and the people don't like it, they're going like this. They're pulling away the shoulder. Where your shoulder is matters to God. Stop the ears. I don't want to hear it. 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 What's for lunch? Where are we going for lunch? Where are we going to do? But they refuse to hearken. That's a choice. That's an attitude, right? Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit. Wow, look at that. And the words which... Let's read 12 again. They that made their heart, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. 
It, remember now, it's not just the literal words. It's the spirit that goes with that words. Because that's what really brings a change, right? You can sit here and read your Bible all day. But when the spirit convicts you of that word, that's when change really comes about in your life. And so here's God affirming to them that they said the right thing. And a spirit followed that. And you turned your shoulder from that and turned your heart away from that. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. How do you expect things to turn out good when you turn your shoulder like that? Therefore, it has come to pass that as he cried, the the Jew, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how you treat one another. Watch how I treat you. Aren't you glad for grace? Hey, we live, don't live under law now. We live under grace now. But care, watch the principle. You always got to watch what makes God upset. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations whom they knew not. And thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned. And they laid the pleasant land desolate. Wow. Now, Brother Barry, you are starting to sound a little bit like a Presbyterian trying to open a soup kitchen. But watch what Jesus says. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware the scribes which go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and uppermost seats at the feasts, which do what? They work over the lowest on the social ladder. They're kicking the underdog. You devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They shall receive the greater damnation. So no wonder Jesus doesn't give some sort of a passive comment about these guys. He warns them. He warns the people about these guys. Because they are in such violation of what God intended by the word mercy. It ain't even funny. And you ought to avoid these fellows like the virus. But nobody knew that until the word showed up. Nobody knew that because they're in the marketplace because they love people to see them. You know what's really interesting? Brother Branham went through the tax case and all of that stuff that he did. And very innocently being naive about the law in relation to money and church offerings and so forth. And it wasn't intentional. Brother Branham never kept that money. But if somebody in the meetings made out a check for $10,000 and wrote William Branham on it and gave it to him. He would go to the bank, stand there at the wicket. He'd write William Branham on the back of the check and hand it in to the ministry account. And then they would pay for the expenses of the meeting. But because it was made out to Brother Branham and he endorsed it, William Branham, then it was now liable for him tax-wise. And so he didn't realize that. He didn't realize that. And so he was liable for the tax on that money because even for an instant it was his, he was liable for the tax. Okay? Now, Now, it's interesting is that the tax case brought to light a facet of Brother Branham's life and activity that is not found in the preaching of his doctrine. And let me give you an example. I mean, I think this is great. Here's Brother Branham now referring to the tax case. He said, just then the Holy Spirit came to rescue so beautifully the way he does. You say things subconsciously. He's talking to an IRS tax man. He said, you say things subconsciously not knowing You're saying that if you just let the Holy Spirit do the talking. In other words, shut up and let the Holy Spirit say it. And I said, well, if you claim that I owe that money, I'll do the best I can. 
And they went ahead to show where it was nearly $20,000 in the last 10 years that I cast that away. Watch now what he says. And he said, the trustees knew nothing about this. And I said, no, it wasn't necessary for them to know it. Now, let me, let me divert here to another statement so he explains what it is that he's actually doing, okay, without the trustees or anybody else knowing. Watch what he says. Taxman says, isn't it true that a man died in the alley up there and he came from Kentucky and he didn't have money for his funeral service and you buried the man? And then you took his wife money down and went to J.C. Penney, pulled it out. He put, the man pulled out the check and said, you spent over $200 just for clothes for those children. And I said, that's right. Isn't that what you did? You know who Brother Bram's fighting for? You know who Brother Bram's standing for? You know how many times this, this is brought out in services? It's not brought out in services. It's brought out by the IRS because Brother Bram's just doing this. You know why? Because it's the spirit of the Father in him that is concerned about the poor and the widows and the hungry and the kids who have no clothes. Do I sound like a Presbyterian? Jewel, watch how you answer this. He said, isn't it a fact that an old woman right here in town, you gave her 300 and something dollars to pay back her grocery bill that they cut her off on, and you, said, and, and you paid nearly $500 for her rent, and they were going to set her out in the winter, and you paid up her rent? And Brother Brandon says, I remember the case well. She's an old mother, 80 years old, afflicted daughter, and a preacher boy in Georgia, afflicted by rheumatism, and he's laying on a bed and no other support. And I said, yes, I did. And they asked, did your trustee board know about this? I said, no, they didn't. Did your wife know about this? And I said, no, she didn't. He said, then why did you do it? Because my Lord said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he said, do you have any law higher than God's law? That's what Brother Bram asked him. That's the kind of stuff he's doing on behalf of the poor and the destitute and the naked and the people who are bereaving in that, in that time period. Now, let's go back to the original quote I gave you. He said, now I said, so here's Brother Bram. He's in the conversation, and he said, I said, what hurts me is to know that those poor old widows and orphans, they're going to have to pay the income tax on it or die owing the government. And I didn't know what I was saying. That was the father speaking, and I didn't know it. And the man said, oh, no, they won't have to pay income tax on it. And I said, why won't I have to pay it? And he said, you see, that's an unsolicited gift. And the Holy Spirit woke him up and said, hello, duh, wake up. And Brother Branham said, you mean an unsolicited gift is not taxable? And the man said, no. Brother Branham said, here's the key to my mailbox. He said, you go look at my mail. And people, what they were looking for was that people would say, because you asked me for $20,000, here's the $20,000. They couldn't find one instance of that in all Brother Bram's mail over weeks and weeks and weeks. He gave them the key to his post office box and said, you read the mail. They said, we just felt in our heart to give you this, you know, for the ministry. And so we felt in our hearts to send this offering here, $1, $5, $1,000, whatever else. And Brother Ram's not out there pumping the people for money, asking them for money. He's not doing that at all. He says, go ahead and look at it. Because now, if that's the case, unsolicited gifts then are not taxable. Isn't that right? So then the IRS had to come way, way, way down and not penalize him very much at all for the, for the problem. So in other words, here he is in a situation that's not good. You're investigated by the IRS. But it brings out this little glimpse we get into what Brother Ram's actually doing with some of these funds that he has in the church here. 
And he's doing it. You know why? Because that's what it means to show mercy. Brother Bram's not doing all of this to make himself look good and say, well, folks, I want you to know that somebody died down there, didn't have their funeral money, so I paid for that. And then go all over the country telling people that. He didn't do that at all. He just explained to us what he went through in the tax case here. But you know who Brother Bram's concerned about? He says, man, the people, people I'm upset for is the widows and the orphans and so forth. You know what that is? That's Bible. That's Bible. That's, that's biblical thinking. You say, Brother Barry, I'm sitting here guilty as a chicken hawk because we just bought another vehicle. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy another vehicle at all. I'm not saying that God does not prosper people and you know, bless people and so forth because of their efforts. Not at all. But when we become in love with that to the point where no one else's need matters, then we have a different problem. I'm just saying that the bride's attitude towards mercy should be based on this. That a lot of times it, it, more, it is more, uh, in a sense, it's more spectacular to help the famous and the big and the large ministry when a lot of times there are people right within arm's reach that we need to show mercy to first. That's all I'm saying. So here's James comes along and he says, Whoso looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion and undefiled. We serve a God who... Actually, he doesn't operate like other nations in the way that they view their gods at all. I'm almost done, so just stay with me for a minute here. I just want to give you an example, another example here. And the example, oddly enough, is the example of Naaman, the leper. You know the story. This is how the Syrians thought about God, okay? They're they're deities, They've been in battle and kidnapped or took prisoner a little Jewish girl who lives in the house of Naaman and attends to sister Naaman. And they're talking in the household. The conversation is about Naaman and how great a man he is. And he is quite a powerful person in that country. Generals you don't take lightly. And she's hearing the conversation about Naaman his master, and this is what the Bible says here, he was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given great deliverance unto Syria, but he was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a, a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captives, three, and she said unto her mistress, this little girl, would to God my Lord been with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he'd recover him out of his leprosy. So they get to thinking and they say, all right, nobody in, the, in our land can deal with Naaman, so let's, let's go to Israel. Imagine. It was a humbling thing for him to go to Israel. So he gets letters from the king to the king of Israel because this is the way they think about their God. God's work from top down. The people who are successful in kings and, and generals and 
you know, the powerful people in a the nation, they're the people who've done something to please their God. So God's moved them up all to the top. So therefore, if you want to appeal to God, you go to the king, you go to the higher power, and then it percolates all the way down through there. But you go to the person in power. That's, that's how they think, okay? That's just history. You can read all the histories of these nations here. So they write letters. The king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, would you do whatever is necessary to talk to your God and get Naaman fixed up here because he's going to die. He's a great man, honorable man. And uh, would you take care of this for him? Sends him all kinds of gifts, all kinds of buggies full of uh, riches and so forth to give because Naaman is such a uh, credible guy. But what's interesting is that when it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes. And he said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man does send me to recover of his leprosy? Wherefore, I consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. That's not how the God of Israel works. He doesn't know anything about how the God of Israel works. God of Israel doesn't work like this, like your God's over there. And he's just trying to trick me and pull me into a battle over here because he knows, I mean, he should know I can't do this. King has no power to heal. King is just appointed by God. This is how Israel is thinking very differently about God than what the Syrians are thinking. So, you know, he, he, he's, he's saying, wow, this is just a trap here. And my goodness, common sense would tell you that in Israel, that's not how it works here. If you want to go to God, go to God. If you want to go to God, you go through the prophets, go through the words, submit yourself, humble yourself, and go to God. That's how you go to God. You go to God not from the top down, but from the bottom up. That's how you go to God. Right? Everybody with me? Hang on. Hang on, all you, just, we'll pray for your blood free sugar in a second. Here, just, just give me a minute here. And it was so, I don't mean that lightly here. I know it's, I know it's been full here. So just give me a few more minutes. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king and he said, wherefore have you rent, rent your clothes? He said, let him come to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. So now you want to tap into God. You got to go through the word. You got to go through these prophets and so forth because this is how God operates. And then how does God deal, how does God respond to that? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, respect riches or he doesn't expect, uh, you know, who's got the biggest car out here. He doesn't expect who's got the nicest job. He doesn't respect who pays the most tithes. God doesn't respect those kinds of things there. God, God is looking for faith in the heart of his people, right? God's looking for faith. And so Elisha simply says, hey, you want to you tap into God's mercy here? He says, and you come on and, and let's, let's talk. So he goes to the prophet's house. You know the story. Goes to the prophet's house and knocks on the door and the prophet doesn't even come out. He says, hey, here's the, here's the commandment from the Lord. Just go bow in the river uh, Jordan seven times. Whoa, you know, hey, that's not how we do it back at home. But, he's, but you know, we could fill in the little part here. How did it go back home? How did it, how's it going back there? You're over here because that didn't work. Right? You're over here because you need help. And here's the help. So don't put yourself up on this high and mighty platform up here that you're some great person and so you've got to be treated a certain way. That's not how our God works. Our God works when you humble yourself and pray and you get down here and you don't, you're not thinking of yourself as somebody great and mighty and powerful and wealthy and everything else here and you've got a lot of authority here. All the authority you have comes from God. So just get on your knees here and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving me a solution here and I'll walk in obedience to that. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, that excites God and God God springs into action here and just waited until Naaman worked through that in his own mind and finally got it at the advice of his counselors and stepped in the water, dipped seven times and comes out clean as a baby here. And he says, thank God, I never knew that's how God's actually worked. 
God's got lots of mercy to show. It's your faith that holds you up. I said God's got lots of mercy. It's our faith sometimes that holds us up. I mean, I, I, when I began to think about this and I, I thought, you remember the, the, the dream that Brother Branham had and serves as this the time, and I won't read it, but you remember, he, he says, I saw a big burly man look like my father. It wasn't my father. He said, but it looked like my father. And he said, he's, he's got this woman, she's kind of cowered down, looked like my mother, but it wasn't my mother. And he had a three-cornered stick. And he said, that stick represented a trinity, the baptism in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And every time she'd try to get up, he'd whack her down. You remember that? Now, what did Brother Branham do? We've got, we got one that's a downcast, and we got one that's a strong person up here. What does Brother Branham do? He jumps in right there, and he says, hey, you're going to mess with that woman. You're going to mess with me. And he jumps in there in that position, looking for the underdog, fighting for the underdog. Come on, standing for the underdog. And he said, all of a sudden, these big muscles came out on me, and I stood right there. And he said, that guy got scared of me. Brother Bram says, you have no right to strike her. And I said, muscles grew, and I looked like a giant. And the man looked at those muscles, and he got scared, and off he went. Brother Bram said, you strike her again, you're going to have to deal with me. What's he illustrating to us here? That... Now let me tell you, when you, when you, when you stand for that, when, when you look around and you find out who's the oppressed, who's the afflicted in spirit, who's the naked and the hungry, who's the, who's the person that has a need here. Hey, listen, that, that's a thing that God wants a Christian to be mindful of. All I'm saying to you is I'm answering the question that Jesus gave them. He says, you need to go and ask, what does it mean to have mercy at all? Because here I am in a house full of sinners with publicans and, and uh, worldly people and gamblers and drug, ag- drug addicts and all of that. I'm in here eating a meal with them, sharing the gospel and sharing the word with them. And you're outside asking my disciples, why? Why is he even bothered with those people? Why is he showing compassion on them? Hey, they're not even worth it. They're not even worth it. You ought to be over here in our council. You ought to be over here in our church over here. And Jesus said, you missed the whole point about mercy. I'm not here to call the righteous to repentance. And he said, those that are sick need a physician. Why would you stop me from doing that? Because that's what real mercy is. In two weeks, Lord willing, we're going to have Brother Kostia come here from Ukraine. He's the guy who lives in Ukraine. He's going to come here on Sunday evening. He's going to be here for to, to minister and to share some of the testimonies of the people in Ukraine and the things that they're going through. He's the key guy who has been involved in dealing with the 160 families who are still left in Ukraine. He's, he's been the one who calls them on the phone almost daily. And ask them, do you have enough medicine? Do you have enough water? Do you have enough food? Every day he's on the phone talking to those families there. He's the guy. I'm the guy who just channels funds to him. A lot of people give me funds, and I channel funds to him. And it goes from one party to another, and Aaron helps at different ones, and money goes right over to, to, to Brother Costian. He's, he's the guy, has the heart for his people. To me, that man is a saint. To me, that man is a real Christian because he's, to me, he's got, he doesn't have to do that because he, if he gets caught, you know what happens to him if he gets caught? If he gets, if he gets arrested by the authorities for doing that 
And he says, slow down. Don't send too much money. He says, I need a little bit more. So, you know, jack it up a little bit. Slow down, slow down. As he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Because if he does, if he gets stopped, he's the link between all those other families that we have no other way of reaching. But God has watched over him and preserved him. You know why? I think because he's got the right definition of mercy in his heart. I do, really do. You'll get to meet him. We're going to have a little fellowship with him. And, and uh, he, he came to the U.S. here uh, because he has family here. But he said, I want to go to Hickory, North Carolina, and I want to shake Brother Barry's hand. And he said, that, that's my purpose in coming here. And I said, well, we want you to send him, and uh, he's going to come here and speak to us as a church. To me, to me, that's what it means to have mercy. I, I am going to close. And musicians, if you'll just slip up here. I, I'd like to just ask you. I got, I got a lot more here. Because I, I was amazed that when I began to think about all of these different scenarios and situations and how that God really wants us to be mindful with compassion towards other people. And, you know, hey, it's great to help the people in Ukraine, but you've got to look around too, right? You've got to look around right here. And, and your, your, our attitude should never be to get, to get even. Our attitude should never be, I want to come out of this looking right. Our attitude should never be, well, uh, man, I hope, <laughs> I hope this brother hears this sermon. Our attitude, I think, Brother Jules should be, Lord, have I missed, have I missed somebody who's afflicted in soul? or lonely, or hurting, that I can help. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the deacon's job. You know what? God comforted me. Lord, let me comfort others. In me, through me. In me, through me. In me, through me. That's how the body works. In me, God does things in me. How many of you can say God's done things in me? In my life, God's done things for me. You're under an obligation to let that flow through you to somebody else. In me, through me. In me, through me. I'm not trying to be a Presbyterian and open a soup kitchen. That's not my intent at all. All I want you to do is make sure we understand a little bit more about mercy. I've never spoken on this subject. I've never dealt with it this way. I did over in Scotland five years ago and didn't know what I was talking about. Looked at that and said, my God, have mercy upon the people over there. Help me to be a real help, Lord. May that spirit of compassion be among us. May that... May that heart, may our hearts be tender right here. And let other people come in. Let other outsiders come in. Let them say, these folks really care. These folks really think about one another. That's what we should be. should be a forgiving society. Because number one, God forgave you. Number two, we forgive one another. Number three, number one depends entirely on number two. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified.
mercies are they're new every day so don't think you've come to him too many times I don't think your account has run out every morning your the mercy account is still full so just reach out to him now this morning and then maybe in your heart this morning you're saying Lord I, maybe I just didn't think about mercy just that way so Lord help me to be a more merciful and compassionate, forgiving in my way. And if that's the case, just raise your hand up to him and say, Lord, deal with my heart that way. Father, we have our hands raised and our hearts are bowed before you. We're better off being a people who know nothing than to assume we know everything. When you came, Lord, you blew all kinds of holes through our understanding of things. You're still doing that. It's just absolutely incredible how simple your word is. And yet sometimes, Lord, we can miss the meaning of things. Your real heart. Help us, Lord, right where we are. And may we think about your love. And Lord, most of all, the comfort that you have comforted us with we may in turn comfort others. Grant it, Lord, I pray. Grant it. Grant it, Lord, because this is what this world needs right now. We've got a perfect message. We've got a true word. 
Lord, I believe we need to be more than just hearers of it. We need to be doers of it. So help us, Lord, right where we are. Help us as we start right here in our own assembly and work outward, Lord, in this little Jerusalem. And Lord, may we work outward and be mindful, Lord, of those around us. We give ourselves, Lord, to this truth today and thank you for it. I can't help, Lord, but lay my hands upon these requests that have been given, Lord, so many serious, awesome requests that you've brought before us today. And so, Lord, we confidently come to you in the throne of mercy and grace and ask that you would be the comforter and the healer, the deliverer, Lord, for all of these needs that we have identified. Grant it, Lord, we pray. Our hearts go out to these people. Lord, may you touch them and strengthen them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him a little bit. I will praise the Lord. Let's sing that little chorus in F. You put it there and I'm going to turn it over to you. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. Higher calling of my Lord. 
tries to stop me, turn me aside. There's no need for you to go on. Why do you even try? Even if there was a rapture, you'd never make it in. But I just say, Satan, that only proves you're a liar again. I'm gonna keep pressing on. Oh, and on. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Oh, now, oh, Satan tries to stop me, turn me aside. There's no need for you to go on. Why do you even try? Even if there was a rapture, you'd never make it in. But I just say, Satan, that only proves you're a liar again. I'm gonna keep pressing on. Oh, I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Oh, sing it again now. Oh. Gonna keep pressing on, on and on and on. We're gonna keep pressing on. We're gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Cause something keeps holding me. Every day I see He's helping me faithfully To overcome my trials Guiding me constantly Giving me victory the reality that something keeps holding me the trial of this world was getting closer the pull I felt was more than I could bear And I was on the verge Of just giving over The strength within myself Just wasn't there But thank the Lord Something keeps holding me Every day I see He's helping me faithfully To overcome my trials He's guiding me constantly 
victory. He's a reality that something keeps holding me. Oh, sing that chorus again now, saints. Oh, something keeps holding me. Every day I see He's helping me faithfully To overcome my trials Oh, guiding me constantly Giving me victory He's a reality Something keeps holding me We've been made more than conquerors Overcomers in this life Oh, we've been made blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we've been made victorious, overcomers in this life. We've been made blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious. privilege to be in church this morning. I don't know about you, but I certainly got my, I certainly got my tanks full and uh, we're still, we're still in it, but we're in it to win it. And uh, I trust you all will have a wonderful week. I just want to sing this song as we go out just to let you know we're still fighting. We're still battling, but we know we're going to win, but just, just take this out with you as you're singing. Oh, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. Oh, if you should win for God and the right, you must keep on the firing line. Oh, now if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, oh, keep on Oh, if you and my brother, surely you must fight 
just keep on the firing line. Oh, now there are many dangers that we all must face. Oh, if we die fighting, it is no disgrace. A coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Oh, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. Oh, if you would win for God and the righteous, keep on. The firing line Oh, now when we get to heaven Brother, we'll be glad So keep on the firing line Oh, and how we'll praise the Savior For the call we had Keep on the firing line And when we see the souls that we have helped to win Leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin With the shout of welcome we will all march in So keep on the firing line Oh now you must fight in the rain against all evil 